Funding for WPLN News comes from you, our listeners, and Bernstein Private Wealth, working with creators and innovators to invest with intention and build the legacy they want to leave behind. More at Bernstein.com. I'm Khalil Ecolona, and this is Nashville. Whether you are renting or own a home in Nashville, housing costs can be a constant source of stress. It's honestly hard to imagine any housing as affordable these days. The government says housing is affordable if you pay less than 30% of your income on your mortgage or rent, plus utilities. But how, do you, how would you define it? What would affordable housing really look like to you? We've been crowdsourcing, and today we are bringing you a special Citizen Nashville episode to share what you all consider affordable. It's not too late for you to weigh in. Tweet us what percent of your income you'd consider affordable at This Is Nashville, or send us an email at thisisnashville at wpln.org. But first, Nashville is considering plans to dramatically overhaul what is known as the East Bank across Cumberland River from downtown. The city put out its sprawling vision document just over a month ago. The plan includes big ideas for housing, parks, and new roads around Nissan Stadium. One part of that envision involves changing how people travel and get around on the East Bank. WPLN contributor Laura Dean has been looking into this and joins us now. Laura, welcome to This is Nashville. Thank you. Such a pleasure to have you. Okay, so this vision document is really big. It's 80 pages with lots of renderings, maps, statistics, urban planning, and urban planning concepts. You know, you zeroed in on the transportation components. But before we get to those plans, can you describe what it's like to travel around the East Bank area right now? It's a mess. Um, oh. One part looks like it should be a <laughs> yeah. Uh, one part looks like it should be a grid, but then not all the streets connect the way you'd expect them to. The interstate's right there, and it's completely inhospitable to people on foot or on bikes. Um, I used to drive over it every day, and I've rarely seen a pedestrian making the trek from East Nashville to downtown that way. And if they did, they'd have to contend with a scrapyard and a wilderness of parking lots. Seems like people know better these days, huh? Yeah. <laughs> so that the plan, it includes changes for driving, for public transit, transit, for walking and biking. Let's start with the roadways themselves. What changes are being considered? Well, there's going to be a well, there would be a brand new street grid. And the backbone of that would be three parallel north south roads. Um, they're going to redo the exits on Interstate 24. And they might even build a new bridge over the river connecting the East Bank to South Nashville. So Metro also envisions a new bus slash transit station close to the football stadium. As it stands now, a lot of bushes run through the downtown bus station. A lot of buses, pardon me, run through the downtown bus station. But, you know, that causes a lot of congestion and a lot of delays for the entire bus system. What would you change? What what would change if they see this through? Well, first of all, the plan calls for a dedicated bus lane throughout the East Bank. So that means the buses, the buses would have their own lane and would therefore be less affected by traffic, making their schedules a little more reliable. Um, and that would be a first anywhere in Nashville um, for the buses to have their own lane. And second, um, there'd be a new bus hub, which, like other transit centers around the city, would have amenities such as indoor and outdoor waiting areas, Wi-Fi potentially, phone charging stations, and bathrooms. Um, I talked to the CEO of WeGo, Steve Bland, about all of this. He knows that downtown can be a real pinch point for the whole system. 
And it's his hope that a new transit hub across the river could take some of the pressure off. Very often, the shortest distance between two neighborhoods in Nashville is through the downtown core. Being able to bypass all of that um, is really attractive. At least on the transit ideas, um, the people I spoke to tend to think that uh, it's a good and necessary addition. Mm -hmm. You know, it's no secret that there have been some critics to the entire East Bank rede redevelopment plan. You know, I'm, I'm curious what folks have had to say about the trans transit aspect of the vision in particular. Who have you talked to and what started to catch your attention? Um, you know, for the most part, people see this East Bank vision as having really bold ideas. You know, there are these fancy renderings and there's a lot of potential. But the transportation folks I was talking to actually said there aren't that many new or ambitious ideas in there when it comes to getting people moving. So some said the benefits aren't regional enough and, and they'd welcome the development of the East Bank, but want to see these transit ideas undertaken as part of a wider set of fixes. Um, others are keeping an, an eye on the affordability promises that are baked into it, and they hope that transit for people who don't have other options and that's close to affordable housing remain priorities. And what about for people who walk and bike? Walk Bike Nashville has all sorts of questions. Um, one big critique is that the plan treats cycling as a recreational, optional activity. But um, Walk Bike Nashville wants to see some infrastructure that helps people choose cycling as a commuting option, which has various benefits like reducing traffic, being better for the environment, and improving health, among other things. <laughs> Um, they were very critical of the fact that there aren't bike lanes on the proposed main thoroughfare. And they said that if there couldn't be bike lanes there, then they'd like to see um, one of the other parallel streets reserved exclusively for bikers and walkers. And I think they'd like to see the plan be less car-centric in general. Mm -hmm. So right now, of course, these are all just ideas. What's next? Well, keep in mind that this is a 10 to 20 year vision. It's not even really spelling out the exact steps that would make it a reality. Um, funding streams aren't determined. There's no breaking ground anytime soon. Metro still needs to present the next steps for the future of the Titans Stadium. And later, the Planning Commission and the Metro Council will actually end up deciding whether or not to adopt this vision. Um, that said, most immediately, there are community meetings to keep gathering feedback. Um, there's, one, there's one tonight on um, the bike and pedestrian side of things at 6 p.m. at Warner Arts Elementary. There's a waterfront and boating community meeting tomorrow at 6 p.m. at the Howard Office Building. And the big planning commission meeting is next Thursday, October 1st at 3.30 p.m. And that'll be at Metro National Public Schools Admin Building. That's 2601 Bransford Avenue. So if you'd like to wait on the plan, there are still some immediate ways to do it. All right. Laura Dean is a contributor for WPLN News. You can check out her latest story at WPLN.org. Laura, thanks for being with us and thank you for your reporting. Thank you so much. We have to take a short break. When we come back, we'll explore what affordable housing means to you. Are you currently paying 30% of your income to cover your housing costs? Tweet us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. Lily Colonna, and this is Citizen Nashville. We've talked a lot here at WPLN News about how to serve you, our communities, better. 
So a few times a month, we're bringing you a special hour we're calling Citizen Nashville. Our goal is to answer your questions, round up resources for you, and make sure our leaders hear your needs loud and clear. Today, we're talking about affordable housing. And yes, we've talked about affordable housing before, but this time, we've decided to invite you to define affordable. Tweet us what you consider affordable at This Is Nashville. Right now, we're going to meet a few community members and learn how they define affordable housing. I'd like to introduce my guests, Samantha Tidwell from Old Hickory and West Nashville residents, Carolyn Nafee and Carrie Obana. Kier Obana, thank you so much for being with us today. Welcome to This Is Nashville. Hi. Hi, everybody. Okay, so let's get to it. The government's definition of affordable housing is paying no more than 30% of your gross income for rent or mortgage along with utilities. Samantha, does that definition, does that describe your living situation? So it does for gross income. And uh, I actually looked up all the information and that was created in the 1980s, which is a much different financial landscape than what it is today. Mm-hmm. So uh, the amount that you paid for medical before tax, um, that's way different now than it was in my parents' day. Taxes, all of those. Um, so my gross income, it does match, but my take home, it does not. So tell me, more about your place. How long have you lived in your house? We bought our house in 2016, I believe. Um, and we we bought it. I had never seen it. Um, it is a very major fixer-upper. Okay. Um, we could afford the monthly payments, which we thought was exactly what we needed to be able to do. Um, did not take into consideration I had a 10-year-old car that may or may not continue on. Um, and we, we just had not discussed our finances because I think a lot of millennials, uh, we weren't overtly taught uh, how do you do a monthly budget? What do you, how do you figure out when you're married? So we bought a house and we loved it and we thought this is going to be great. We're going to fix everything. Hmm. I'm going to be Joanna Gaines and it did not work out like that. Um, So. Okay. So, so what other expenses are you dealing with that are making things difficult for your family? You mentioned the 10 year old car. What else is there? Oh, well, we have since replaced that. Um, I mean, student loans are huge. My student loans are more than our mortgage. Uh, we paid off my husband's student loans. Um, but uh, like at this moment, I mean, just taxes, that's about 18% of our income. Our medical is about 10%. I mean, that's 28% of like our gross income. That's a lot of money. Um, and medical can change. Last year happened to be a rough medical year. So we spent well over 10000 mm. Um Retirement, childcare is huge. I actually talked to a few of my neighbors that have young kids, and we only have one child, so we're in the 10% range, but my neighbors are paying 25% for childcare of their gross income. So, I mean, if you add 35% for just your housing, that's not a lot left to live on. So let me ask you, do you consider 30% affordable? I do not. What would you consider affordable? I think more like 20 or 25%. And my husband and I, we I think we make average to, but we make above average in Nashville. And I can't imagine being a single mom making thirty five thousand. How I could afford to live at all, even thirty five percent. That's a lot of money for with childcare, with food, with um, transportation. You cannot live in Nashville without a car. Mm-hmm. I, I could not imagine with a child. That would be so difficult. 
Now, Kier, let me apologize to you first for getting your name wrong in the intro, but let me ask you this. I understand that you're a renter. Is that right? Correct. And you're fine. <laughs> oh, word. Okay. Um, now, are you paying under 30% of your income for housing? Um, just for rent and utilities? Just at about, yes. I'm paying under. So, okay. So, you, you meet the qualifications what surprised you about trying to find a place to rent in Nashville? Oh, my God. So um, what surprised me was the challenge that people are faced who work in the city, who are new to the city, who may not want a long commute into the city as they don't really know it, and how expensive the housing that was, let's say, without traffic, that was about 10 to 15 minutes away from you know, where you work downtown, um, it, the housing was, was just considerably inexpensive. I mean, you basically had to choose between high rises and, you know, um, you know, these, uh, especially if you're on an accelerated timetable, you know, to try to get down here and get living and get working, um, you know, a lot of the processes for background checks and, you know, it was COVID at the time when I was moving. So it literally was the worst time to move. You had to do virtual, you know, tours and everything like that so there just wasn't much available and, if, and what there was available that was close was very expensive um for someone i would say like unless you're moving down here with you know like a 70 80k a year you know uh, uh salary you know those who are trying to come down here and establish themselves who maybe at you know about half that mm -hmm. um don't really have many options unless you are looking in you know places like madison or you know, further out of Nashville. I can understand what you're saying. I moved here a year ago and experienced some of the th same things you just shared. Now, you've been looking to purchase a house. So tell me, how Correct. has that search been for you? The search has been, uh, I will say, just not the, the, not the most ideal. <laughs> I'm still in the search, and it's really... Um, you, you hear, I'm, I have a friend who's a realtor and, he, you know, based on what he says, he's kind of keeping it black and white. Um, you know, you really got, you really have to have your ducks in a row because of the competition of how many buyers there are who aren't even, you know, here. So you have people that are like myself who, you know, at least who are, who is at least a resident that are looking for housing. And then you have people who are coming in. So I, I think there was an article about, you know, specifically people people from California, LA, you know, that are flying out here buying homes <laughs> and, you know, you're, you're, you're really not, you know, cause the, the, the cost of living for them there is higher than it is here. It's just a no brainer for them to go here. And my own neighbors now moved in and I, and I would say about shoot, um, a two week period, um, uh, from when the, my previous neighbors moved out and they're literally from LA. And they love it, and they have never even seen snow before, and they, and they, they swear that it's not going to going to snow. So <laughs> it's just been um, uh, it's just been not the most ideal, um, you know, with trying to find places that are, you know, really going to fit your needs. I understand. Now, Carolyn, you run a nonprofit called Our Space Nashville that helps provide housing for people with intellectual and developmental disabilities. They are community members whose needs aren't always included in the conversation. Let's be real about that. You know, but what are some of the specific challenges that these folks face when it comes to finding housing? Most of the people that we work, we work, uh, Our Place Nashville works with adults with developmental disabilities. 
and they tend to live with their families. The problem arises when the parents are aging and they eventually are going to pass away. What happens with their adult son or daughter? Mm -hmm. And there are no options in Nashville unless you're extremely poor or extremely wealthy. And uh, my partner, who is a professor at the Divinity School at Vanderbilt, we were both really concerned about this problem. What happens to these younger adults that age, their parents are aging? What happens? There's no options, especially if you're upper lower class to uh, lower upper class. It's a hole in the middle. And um, we talked with a lot of families on a grassroots basis. I was running a nonprofit. Uh, my partner was teaching. And we interviewed families that were looking for options out there that couldn't really afford anything. Uh, usually it costs $5,000 a month. It's like a, it's like a nursing home to find a place, a residential facility for these adults. So we, what we learned was that anecdotally it costs about $600 a month is all of these at least families can afford. So we thought, can we come up with something where all of the expenses total are $600 a month? Hmm. So presto, we married with uh, two different affordable housing organizations that are here in Nashville. Nashville, for all of the uh, problems that it has with affordable housing, also has a lot of resources. And these two organizations in particular work with vulnerable populations, urban housing primarily rehabs places and um, has apartments. Woodbine has a really unique offering, which is shared living, which is living in community. And we now have these houses, the price is uh, just under $4,000 a year um, to live in a shared living house. Now, that's pretty hard to beat, and all of, all of our residents... Um, at the 30% mark that you're looking for are under that under that uh, amount of money for the housing that they get. So that's actually affordable for the people you work with. Absolutely. 30%. It's good news. Now, you and you, Samantha, you and your husband, you for, work for, for us, for you all. Yeah. Yes. Yes. That's very specific. Now, Samantha, you and your husband, you both work full time mm -hmm. and you budget the fi family's finances down to the dollar. How are your housing costs? How do they factor into your monthly budget? So they're one of the, well, after taxes and medical, it, like the certain things that come out of our paycheck or my paycheck, both of our paychecks, the first thing is our house because we have to pay for the house. Um, right now we have a second loan that we had to take out in order to fix up things in the house. Our house is 100 years old. Hmm. It's an It was an unupdated 100-year-old house. So um, it had like a newer toilet when we moved in. That was about it. Um, so... We, in addition to our mortgage now, we also save like or pay $500 to $600 a month just in maintaining the air conditioner, um, fixing up the kitchen. Like We have a hundred year old kitchen. It's, it's mm -hmm. rough looking. Um, and so after our, our initial things, we then do the mortgage. We, we have like a system of what comes next, car insurance that has to get paid every uh, year, every six months. And so my student loans cannot be laid on those. Those have to get paid every month. Uh, food, child care. We have certain things that we have to pay for every month, obviously. And then we try to save the rest for, okay, next year, you know, um, when pre-K happens, are we going to, is she going to go to a different school? Is that going to be $1,500 a month? Because that seems to be what the... Um, preschools are in Nashville. Um, and uh, 
on the other line, the person that's on the phone, he mentioned, like, if you want to live near your job, I commute 45 minutes to 60 minutes every day because I actually live near Madison and I work in in Nashville. So mm-hmm. there, I could not afford a house in within 15 minutes of my job. If you're just tuning in, this is Citizen Nashville, and I'm your host, Khalil Colonna. We're talking this hour about what you, our community, considers affordable when it comes to housing. Tweet us your thoughts at This Is Nashville. Now, now, Kier, as as you look to find a house to purchase, are you worried about costs of renting going up? Yes, and that's why it really, it really, you know. I, my my real estate friend is like, oh my god, you gotta hurry up before interest rates grow up, uh, go up. And then uh, for me myself, I know that in the areas that I like to live in, which is a little, you know, just safer, um, that um, they're the the rent the the renters are um, they're facing you know this this pressure, I guess, from the market, so to speak, of you know what else that what what more they can charge year by year. Um, and you know, in, in, in a lot of people out that I say that I, that I see in the Nashville area, you know, closer to downtown, are experiencing people getting rent raised, and they're, you know, they still have, um, you know, drafty homes that they're, you know, they're renting that get very drafty in the in the winter, and there's just things that aren't up to code, and you know. I'm, I was renting a you know place out in Germantown. It's, it's just, there's a lot of things that you know that you can sell people in the area, but the houses themselves need a lot of work. And there's these people are just needing to get somewhere they can stay. And then as they're staying there, they need these things changed, and it's not getting changed. So it makes you want to go somewhere else. And while you're trying to find out somewhere else to go, your own rent goes up. Um, it's just really trying to make it keeps you on your toes, basically. Mm-hmm. You know, Samantha mentioned this, like the further away from the city one lives, the cheaper the costs. But there's a trade off right. between cheaper housing and other expenses like gas mileage and maintenance that are not really cheap. They're, they can be quite expensive at times. Is that something mm-hmm. that you think about when you as you're considering a place to live at a home to buy? Absolutely. Um, because, you know, it's, uh, w- me moving down here from Wisconsin, I've learned that even cars, cars themselves, used cars, used car values out here are more expensive. Um, trying to get them serviced, you know, when you need something a little more major than an oil change or a tire plug, it takes a little longer or you got to search a little more far and few or you have a broken car and you have to take it somewhere far to get it fixed. Um, it's uh, There's a lot of other costs that go into you, you know, trying to save money to live further away. Me, I just thought of it as a day-to-day. I thought that, you know what, I'd rather stay closer to town and that way for whatever reason my, you know, the Honda I was driving at the time that had 300,000 miles on it, if that decided to just, you know, kaput, which thank God Honda's dope, <laughs> um, I still had a way to work because I thankfully live so close to downtown. Now, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Car- but, Carolyn, let me ask you, how does the location, how does that impact sustainable housing for the people you work with? Uh, location is everything. They always say location, 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 and that's true no matter what the conversation is. Um, our houses are um, within one-tenth of a mile of a bus stop, and they all tend to be in urban areas because we need to be near facilities. We need to be near the grocery store. Most of our people, if they can walk um, or take the bus, that would be optimum, and it's near jobs. 
and it's near the kinds of jobs that our folks can get. So um, being in an urban area is phenomenally more attractive as being in Madison would be really difficult. Now, you all have adopted a shared living model for your spaces. You mentioned that a little bit earlier. How is that working out? We love it. It it builds a family and it gives people support living with each other. We have have people who are able and people who are disabled living together and living together makes it easier for all of them. We have older adults. They no longer have to be socially isolated and being able to live on a social security check or on a job where you work 20 hours a week, maybe part, you know, so you're part time, not earning a lot of money uh, with the additional money from your family you can afford the affordable housing uh, rent. Being, I was listening to your, your other guests. Um, having something be affordable mm-hmm. and affordable housing are two totally different things. Mm-hmm. Affordable housing are for people who are eligible for um, housing that has gotten some kind of financing um, from the city, from the state, from the federal government, from financers. And the people that, that live with us have to earn under $20,000 a year for most of the spots that we have available. Some can earn under $33,000, um, but you have to earn that little to be eligible to live in the housing that's affordable housing. To live in housing that is affordable, which is what your other guests are looking for and want, that's a whole different question. Now, Kier, is sharing your living space something you've considered to curb the costs? Uh, I'm glad you asked because that is what I did initially when I moved down here is I moved to Germantown and I lived with two other uh, renters in a home um, because it was the most affordable, the closest to the city. I don't have any kids. I don't, I'm not in a relationship. I really, you know, was re- trying to be conducive to my situation. Um, but as the time grew, right, I think all of us want our own space. Now I'm living somewhere in West Nashville. Um, where I have a two bedroom that I'm renting and it's nice having my space. So when I work from home, I can actually have, you know, an office and not just a person that I have to make compromise with about what I do and, you know, how, you know, what I, what I would need from that space. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, we've got, we've had, we've seen the shared living model played out television, golden girls, friends living single. There's a little bit of a stigma to it. Samantha, do you think there's a, a stigma for older adults to have shared living? Oh, yeah. When I, I'm not from here. When I moved to Tennessee, I lived with my friends uh, because I just moved here after I finished my master's degree and I didn't have anywhere to live. I couldn't afford anything. So then I started to rent a room from an, a friend of a friend in Brentwood. That's how I did it when I first got here. I, I couldn't afford a one-bedroom apartment in Williamson County. Mm-hmm. Or in Davidson. Now, after the break, we'll invite a few local officials to answer questions about affordable housing. Samantha, what questions do you have for them? So I'm in a weird position because I, I know I'm privileged and we make quite a bit of money in my mind, but we still struggle to go on one vacation a year because we can't afford the house that we have all the time. I mean, we don't have a we have a fixer upper. Um, how can this? be fixed? Like, how can this be helped? Um, Taxes or some kind of incentives for homeowners? I'm not sure, but I mean, it would be helpful if a homeowner could get some childcare help or something like that. Mm -hmm. Kier, what questions do you have for our officials? Um, I would just, I would just like to ask, you know, just what are, um, 
what are what are we doing to just make it easier for those um you know who are because it's it's real expensive to go from you know being you know very poor to being you know middle class you have to there's just a lot of stuff you have to do to get yourself out of that just kind of being through that myself um and when you're trying to do better it just seems like you know you're trying to catch up on past things and you're trying to get ready for the future at the same time and the money just doesn't flow in that way <laughs> so that way you can um you know get better but basically if there's going to be more programs that are going to be geared for people who are making it up, you know i just feel like sometimes people who are in between those those classes get left behind mm-hmm. and you know the teacher is like oh yeah i'm sorry that you were trying to stop being poor but you're going to keep being poor because you don't make enough money to stop being poor and you have to you know so mm-hmm. i just my question would be what programs do we have for people who are trying to make that jump and um you know want to secure housing they want to be a part of nashville and mm-hmm. how can we make that happen without you know reluctantly making us go to Antioch or, you know, somewhere outside of where we currently work. Carolyn, what questions do you have? Um, I have one question and one comment. The question is, can you get more money for affordable housing? Um, There's always more money that's needed. So can you get more money? You're doing great. Can you get more? Um, But the comment is that um, your guests are from the Metro Council and from MDHA, which is the local HUD office. And without people within those two organizations um, that are champions for affordable housing, which both of your next guests are, uh, we would be plucked here in Nashville. So I, th- I want to say thank you because there are members in the Metro Council. There are people at MDHA that are passionate about meeting the needs. And I think we're all really quick to criticize. So I just would like to say thank you on behalf of those of us who benefit from the helps that they do give um, they make a big difference, and the money that they give to support affordable housing is transformative for those people. It obviously is not touching everybody, but they are doing some work, and they are helping a lot of people in Nashville. That is Carolyn Nafee with Our Place Nashville. She was joined by Kier Obana and Samantha Tidwell. Thanks to you both. Thanks to you all for being with us today. Really appreciate it. We have to take a short break. When we come back, we'll share what we've been hearing from you, our community. What is affordable to you? What would you like to see change? You still have time to share your thoughts and questions, so tweet us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. Khalil Colonna, and this is Citizen Nashville. We know that not all of our living situations are the same. Even when we make the same amount of money, costs of living vary. So it seems that the government declaring that paying 30% of our gross income on housing costs may not be one a one-size-fits-all model. With Nashville being one of the fastest-growing cities in the country, This is top of mind for most of us. Since our last episode on affordable housing, we've been doing some crowdsourcing, asking you to tell us what would be affordable for you when it comes to housing. We've also been soliciting your questions. Joining us now to answer them and share some insight on affordable housing are Metro Council Member-at-Large Berkeley Allen and Dr. Paulette Coleman. 
board member at the Metro Development and Housing Agency, or MDHA. Council Member Allen, Dr. Coleman, thank you for being here with us today. My pleasure. So let's get to it. Jocelyn Mariano from Bellevue wrote to us to share her thoughts. She said, quote, affordable housing is a joke. As a single mom, I spend roughly 60% of my income on rent and utilities. I make too much money to qualify for an assistance. Even if I did, the type of housing I'm eligible for is inconvenient for my family and employment and or unsafe, end quote. Thank you, Jocelyn, for writing in. Now, this is a sentiment that we've heard from a couple of community members. Why is it so difficult for so many Nashvillians to keep their housing costs at 30% or less of their income? Paulette, I'd like to start with you. Yes. First of all, I'd like to say, though I am a member of MDHA, I am not an official spokesperson. That would be Dr. White or Ms. Berry. Um, it is difficult for <clears throat> housing because, one, the inventory of housing in Nashville has dwindled over the years. We have a lot of out-of-state investors. The second point is that much of the affordable housing um, or some of it has gone to short-term rentals because owners can get a faster return on their money than they can with uh, a regular rental by the month or what have you. Uh, the housing costs have soared. Uh, those are partly market-driven. Land in Nashville has soared. So the, the, these are factors that are part of what make housing difficulty. But the real issue is the inventory. And until we are able to build more housing and not only build, but preserve, I was really um, resonated with the young woman who was speaking about having purchased a 100-year-old house. And what we're finding is that there are, I'm going to call them legacy properties where one generation after another lives there. <clears throat> and then... The, maybe there are tax um, benefits, not benefits, but there there's a tax freeze. There's all of these several programs out of the trustee's office, but they are income and age driven. There are some other cities around the country that have residency uh, benefits and programs that would allow people to keep their housing that are not based on those two factors. Mm -hmm. We also heard from Ariana Hodes. She is a local artist and bartender. She went through the apartment hunting process last year and eventually found a studio to rent in Edge Hill, but it wasn't easy. Let's listen. When I was looking for a new spot this year and seeing how much rent had increased just in the last year alone and what a one bedroom was going for, it really left me with this feeling like, do I belong here? Does Nashville want me and people like me here? And I recently started tracking my expenditures, and I can tell you the months where my rent and associated costs reach 30% of my income are not months where I feel like I can participate and really live in this city. I know that number comes from a federal government that's looking at nationwide costs of living, and you just can't apply that, I don't think, to a city. You're not really getting at the number that's associated with actually living in a place and living in a place to me includes not having to work crazy hours in order to feel like you belong here. So as you heard, in Ariana's experience, spending 30% of her income on housing doesn't make her feel 
cost burden. It makes her feel like she doesn't belong in Nashville. I know that now that's a national housing guideline. But so let me ask you, Council Member Allen, does Metro calculate that figure differently at all? There, there is something um, that comes up often in discussions, and that is that we um, use the federal definition, which is 30 percent uh, of your income should be spent on on uh, on your housing. And the income often is defined in terms of something called area median income. And that's a number that HUD, Housing Urban Development, a federal agency, publishes on a regular basis. So it's it's a it's a standardized number that everyone can look at, banks and developers and everyone can look at. Um and that includes a 10-county region, which includes some very wealthy counties that live next door to us. So it sort of skews um, what is considered the average uh, that's used to determine wh- in which niche that you that you fit. Um, it's useful in terms of just having some standardized terms. And we, we often talk about certain kinds of tax abatements are available for people who earn less than 60% of the area median income. But in Nashville, there's another uh, metric called a median household income, which is just based on the county of Nashville. And that's a, that's a more meaningful number, but it's not one that's calculated on a regular basis. So there's there's some frustration there with having a standard that's set ba- based on uh, on some, some counties that, that skew our numbers. We got a comment from our listener, Mike Hodge, who is a lead organizer at NOAA, and it's about the area median income. He said it's unfairly high. It sounds like you agree with that. And if so, what can be done about that? So we have tried uh, creating some housing tools that are based on the median household income, which is the metric that is just Nashville. And uh, and to be honest, the banks and the builders were confused by having to deal with two different standards. So I think now what we're moving towards is is creating just data on how the two relate to each other and acknowledging that the median household income in Davidson County is lower than the area median income that is used for all these standards. And we, we therefore um, try to make adjustments after setting our standards based on the standardized number and then say, but we know, we know that that no one in, in Nashville who's, you know, if you're setting it at, quote, 60% of area median income, that knocks out a whole lot of people. Mm. So instead of setting it at 60%, we'll set it at, at 50%. And we'll say we'll allow people who earn 50% of the area median income. And that, and that then opens up um, possibilities for people who might not fit under the official threshold um, but we've we've kind of tried to compensate for it that way. And I think that that works better just with still enabling the people who know how to put funding together to use the the numbers that we've that we've put in place. Now, Rose Yates in Rutherford County wrote in to us. She said that if you make sixty two thousand dollars of 30 percent is twenty nine dollars, 80 cents an hour. So how does that how does a minimum wage person or even someone who makes eighteen dollars an hour, which averages out to about thirty seven thousand dollars a year, find housing with utilities for roughly nine hundred thirty six dollars a month in Nashville? She added, quote, work that math on net income, including taxes and medical insurance. And it looks even more grim. End quote. Paulette is the onus on employers to provide salary rates that match the rising costs of housing. And if so, who has the power to influence employers to act on that? Well, first of all, nobody really has the power to make employers pay more. We have had the livable wage and the $15 an hour campaign. And if you'll recall, when that first started, politicians, 
citizens, everybody was saying it's going to make businesses go uh, be terminated, closed. They can't afford it. Then we have the experience with the pandemic and people weren't coming to work. And now we have more organizations, businesses paying $15 an hour. Now, remember, they said they were going to go out of business. Hmm. Now, their costs to consumers have also increased. And if we follow that logic, then it's going to take another pandemic to raise the salaries. Hmm. And I don't think that's the way to go. But there is a definite correlation between wages and ability to afford uh, adequate and safe housing. Uh, Previously, we were talking about a $15 uh, an hour um, livable wage. And even that now, given cost in Nashville, is not going to be responsive to the reality. What I'm seeing people doing is many people have multiple jobs, unfortunately. And the person who talked about feeling unwanted— they don't have the quality of life that they will like. They have no discretionary income. And so that makes it very, very difficult. If you're just tuning in, this is Citizen Nashville, and I'm your host, Khalil Colonna. This hour, we're asking you to tell us what affordable would look like for you when it comes to housing. My guests are Council Member at Large Berkeley Allen and Dr. Paulette Coleman of MDHA. Tweet us your thoughts at This Is Nashville. There's still time to get them in. Now, Sarah Nowicki from Hermitage wrote in. Here's what she shared. <clears throat> Quote, in general, if a teacher with a child cannot afford to live... There is not anything affordable. I was raised to think that I should only pay 25% of my salary on housing. So if a teacher makes $2,500 a month, which is high, and the rent is $2,000 a month, what is going to happen? Now, council member, I understand that this year and last year's budget included cost of living raises for several groups of Metro employees, including teachers and 911 operators. Are you concerned that the city is becoming unaffordable for its employees and what kinds of solutions are really being considered? Um, everyone is absolutely concerned that we are becoming unaffordable. Um, and it was, it was um, I think, really important to the council to provide the raises. Last year, uh, we, we focused on the teachers. This year, we focused on the support staff of, um, of the metro schools because, I mean, it's important for the people who are making this city thrive be able to be, be a part of it. So I think that is a commitment we will have to continue to make. Um, education should be at least half of our budget. Right now, it's about 39% of our budget. So I think that we've got we've got wiggle room there uh, to, to get it back up to where it should be. But that, you know, that always involves hard choices. And does that mean we have to wait longer to, to build a library that people also value? So um, I think as a, as a city, we have to, we have to recognize that what it will take uh, I think to make people able to live here is to provide wages. Metro has, has to some degree been a leader in that now currently every Metro employee makes at least $15 an hour and all Metro teachers and support staff now make at least that $15 an hour. And that was, it was, uh, it was hard work in the budget process to get to that point, but we are um, hoping to set an example for other employees to also likewise um, go to at least that minimum. But as you've said, that $15 an hour that only that puts you at what's called thirty percent of AMI. That still puts you at being able to um, only pay nine hundred dollars a month in, in in rent. And 
I had a friend who recently lost her wonderful place where she'd been living and, and just the search for an apartment that rents for $900 uh, was terrifying for her. Mm. And what she's ended up finding is subsidized housing. And that's part of what the city is moving to is where what are tools that we can use like tax abatements and subsidies that can help create that possibility. We, we did create some uh, artist housing that, that was specifically for people in that niche. And we are looking at uh, creating other tools for teachers and, and other essential uh, parts of our economy that would specifically make rents more in the range that matches what their salaries are. How quickly is the city moving on that? Because it seems like this problem of affordable housing is only growing by the day, by the day as more people right. move to Nashville. I think the problem is moving faster than the solution is, but we have certainly got more tools in our toolbox than we than we used to. We created the Barnes Fund for affordable housing about 11 years ago, and that has created over 2,000 units. We've now got a mixed income pilot that we just recently passed that is a tax abatement for uh, for developments that will set aside a certain percentage of their apartments uh, to to have lower rents for income qualified tenants. So it's, you know, it's kind of we create a tool that will create a thousand a year. And if we get enough of them, we'll be able to create the 30,000 that we know we're going to be short if we don't make changes. All right. Let's get back to community comments. Jason Christensen lives in Eastwood near a subsidized housing development. He says a lot of his neighbors don't have cars and there's no longer a bus station near his building. Let's listen. Affordable housing is about many factors beyond just a cheap rental or house payment access to work and groceries and community. These are all necessities. In a city with poor public transit like Nashville, affordable housing in a fringe neighborhood might as well be on an island. I'd like to see more of the housing initiatives built around access to make the housing actually work. Paulette, what factors outside of just the rent or mortgage payment determine whether or not housing is affordable for a given person and their specific needs? I would say utilities, I would say transportation cost. I would say educational cost for either the person or their children. And then people want to be able to have some amenity, some cultural enrichment uh, activities. Healthcare is a really, really big factor that impacts housing. Uh, so those are just a, a few of them. I also think that a more comprehensive community economic development approach and mindset would be helpful. With regard to tools, MDHA is, has a focus on mixed income housing. We have the tool of vouchers. And so there are some tools, but they're not enough. And the need is far more um, deep, deeper than the currently existing tools. Now, Laura Sachs from Madison wrote that in, quote, the trees and green space should not be reserved for people in Bellmead only. The company that developed my street in Madison for affordable houses and townhouses wants to build on the lot behind my house. If they cut down all the trees and pave all the land back there, then it'll just be another concrete landscape with higher temperatures and pollution. I wish affordable housing projects took a more encompassing approach to creating living spaces for the community. Otherwise, they're just widening the gap between those in the highest and lowest income brackets, end quote. Council member, how is green space being incorporated into new housing in Nashville? Um, that's a that's an excellent question. We have um, some tools. There's actually a bill that's coming up before the Planning Commission that would specifically talk about what they, they call the compact lot uh, that would enable 
uh, houses to be put on slightly smaller lots for setting aside a green, a common green space that everyone could use that would be part of that. We also have a bill that's coming before the Planning Commission that would um, reward preservation of trees because we're now learning, you know, that the, the shade it provides is important, the stormwater retention that it provides is important, um, and just the, the, the quality of life that, that having trees there and the energy that it saves. So there are, there are planning tools that can, I think, make preserving green space and trees uh, be part of development. The interesting tension in that is that home builders will tell you that then makes it more expensive to build. Um, and so we've we've added lots of great things like sidewalks, I mean, that are also really important that add to the cost of, uh, of building. So trying to figure out how we can ensure that everyone gets the wonderful place to live that they deserve in a way that we can still make it possible for them to pay a rent that matches what their wages are. Um, it's a real puzzle with a lot of, of missing pieces, and we've got to figure out where the where the line is and the balance point is in, in those priorities. All right, we got about a minute left, and we have a tweet from a listener who goes by Slug King, all right, on Twitter. They said, I understand private landlords are different, but why is there no limit of how much rent can be raised per year? Example, one year apartment rent raised 6%, year two, 13% increase for the same apartment. So when the government says affordable housing is whatever costs 30% of our income, but our income isn't necessarily changing, even though the rent is going up, that's got to be a little bit of a problem, right? I mean, what can be done about that? Councilmember Allen, we've got about 35 seconds. We are currently challenged because state law yes. prohibits rent control uh, and also presents some of the other, prevents some of the other tools that we've created. We've got to work harder at creating some partnerships so that they realize this is an important issue all across the state and try to get more options. Okay, real quick question from each of you, yes or no. Do we have to get used to the rent being too damn high? I hope not. No, we got to fix it. Okay. All right. That is Metro Council Member at Large, Berkeley Allen. She was joined by Dr. Paulette Coleman, board member at NDHA. Thanks to you both for being on the show, and thanks for answering the community's questions. Really appreciate it. We want to thank everyone who tuned in this hour. Tomorrow, a special broadcast of the January 6th congressional hearings will be airing in place of our show, but we'll be back on Thursday, I promise. This is Nashville is a production of WPLN News and Nashville Public Radio. Listen back at thisisnashville.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Our producers are Steve Harush and Rose Gilbert. Our digital lead is Anna Gallegos-Cannon. Michaela Elias is our technical director. Our executive producer is Andrea Tuthope. The masterminds behind our theme music are LaRange and Namir Blade. Special thanks to Elizabeth Turney and Courtney Taylor. The conversation doesn't end here. Tweet us at This Is Nashville. Find us on Instagram and let us know what you want from our show by filling out our quick survey online. This Is Nashville. I'm Khalil Ekelona. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody. And be good to each other.